You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and it's a huge joy and privilege to open our Bibles to Matthew 25. Why would I say it's a joy and privilege to open to Matthew 25? Let me just start off this message with a little bit of systematic theology in terms of God's Word. Now, why do I do this? Because I think it's so helpful to remind us what God's Word says about God's Word so we have a heightened expectation of what we're about to do right now, okay? So as I go through this, man, it's hard not to have an increased desire and an expectancy of why God has given us His Word. Check this out. The Bible's like a seed that saves us. The Word of God is like water that washes us. God's Word is fire that cleanses us, like a hammer that shatters us, like a sword that cuts us, like medicine that heals us from the sickness of sin. The Bible's like a mirror to reflect us, a a lamp to guide us, a counselor that comforts us, a forecaster that never fails us, like milk that nourishes us. The Bible's like meat that satisfies us. This is everything God's Word says about God's Word. I mean, just think about that. No wonder then. No wonder it's the book of books. No other book in all of creation can boast of such things. And this is exactly, why do I bring that up? This is exactly what God's word has been doing to us the last several weeks. Calling us, cleansing us, convicting us, challenging us. Church, I mean, honestly, thank the Lord for his word, amen? I mean, thank the Lord for your word that does all these things to us. Help us to know that and appreciate that and to love you for it, oh God. I want to remind us, too, of this beautiful truth to show us again how the Holy Spirit's been doing that in us through Matthew chapter 25. Here's a recap of where we've been in this chapter. We see the progression through this chapter of Jesus laying down the call for urgency. These are all non-negotiables in the Christian life. If you and I are true Christ followers, these are the things that must be seen through our lives. The parable of the ten virgins. Are you ready? Is there oil in your lamp? Is your lamp burning? It needs to be because all of this is under the umbrella of the return of Christ, the imminent return of Christ. Jesus is being so clear. Get ready, get ready, live your life with urgency. When we grasp the urgency, that leads to the knowledge we have opportunity. Every single Christ follower has been given opportunity. One talent, two talent, five talents, it all matters. Every single one of us has been entrusted with the stewardship of our lives. Where there's urgency, you see the opportunity. And now we see this today. When you sense your opportunity, what you've been entrusted with, and you don't want to waste it, what must come from our lives now is mercy. There must be mercy coming from our lives if we follow Christ and love Christ, then Christ flows through us, and his mercy then is seen from us. Again, these are not things you get to choose from. This is what Christ does within his followers. There is an urgency, there's an opportunity, there's a mercy, all under, again, the umbrella of Jesus Christ is returning one day so soon. Don't fall asleep. Don't waste your life. Don't fail to care for those, to care for those, again, that are in your midst with the opportunity that we have through the mercy of God. Urgency, opportunity, and mercy. So with our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read our text. I want to read this passage in its full, and then we will jump in together. Matthew 25, verse 31, the conclusion of this chapter. Jesus says this. 
When the Son of Man, notice, when the Son of Man comes, notice, in His glory, in His glory, and all the, I mean, verse 31 alone for me is such a blessing. And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. I mean, just imagine what that's going to be like. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king, notice the king, the king, King Jesus will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why, for I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came to me. Then notice the righteous, surprised, they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you thirsty and give you drink? See you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, truly I say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, apart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer surprise, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, naked, sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, not do it. You did not do it to me. And then so incredibly sobering, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It's not an easy text today, is it? There's massive encouragement here, but there's also a tremendous sense of sobering. And I want you to know that I'm incredibly aware of that as we go through this, but I'm committed to preaching to you the truth that Jesus Christ has put before us, and so that's what we're going to do prayerfully, I pray humbly, but boldly here today as well. Why? Because lives are at stake. Because lives are at stake. In this room right now, lives are at stake. We're going to move through this passage, these 16 verses today, by noting five observations. Five observations. The first observation is this. Notice this. Number one, the setting. The setting. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Again, notice how much Jesus is like, I'm coming back, I'm going to come back, I'm going to come back. I mean, over and over again through this chapter, he's just like the imminency of the return of Christ. Like, like be ready for it. Don't let the world distract you. Live as though this could be at any moment. Jesus himself is repeating himself again over and over again to awaken his followers. Feel the urgency of these chapters. Notice in verse 31, he will come in his glory, all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. I mean, how's that for awesome? glory and power and authority and the son of man the ancient of days taking his place on his throne to do what to 
to judge. The setting is judgment. Sitting on his throne to, the text says, to judge the nations. Again, verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So obviously in this context of judgment, we see here again the urgency that Jesus is placing before us. This is the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations where Jesus Christ is the Lord, the judge of judges. His authority is unlike any other. You know, we're um, surrounded in these days with a hysteria surrounding Supreme Courts. But think what this text is saying. Jesus Christ is a one-man Supreme Court over all of eternity. A one-man Supreme Court. Listen, notice the clarity of his authority. Notice the weight of his majesty. He will sit on his glorious throne. He will come in his Shekinah glory. Unlike anything you've ever imagined. Jesus will come with all the angels. Imagine all his angels. What's that going to be like? It's going to be awesome. You know, often if you're like me sometimes, you walk into church and sometimes you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, hey, pastor, can you just give me some practical things I can do with my life? Can you help me be a better dad? Can you help me be a better mom? Can you give me a few tips that I can go and maybe be a little bit wiser within my business? Pastor, can you just help me with God's word, be a little more pragmatic with my life so I can have some how-to, to-do lists for my life that I can apply right now? I'm telling you, man, that might be okay at times. But right now, you're receiving the most important thing you could ever receive in your life, a greater call and sense of the fear of God. When you and I are filled with the vision of the holiness and the fear of the Lord and his majesty, all of life comes into focus. Everything we want, everything we could imagine, everything we need to be starts with the vision of Jesus Christ sitting on his glorious throne and us being gathered before him. And there we are in worship and falling down and totally enamored with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's just admit right now that often we approach Jesus and approach him as a vending machine. Jesus, give me, give me, give me. I need some more of this in my life. I want some more of that in my life. Come on, Jesus. He's not a vending machine. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Son of Man. He's the Ancient of Days. And I'm telling you, man, I get it because my heart wants to do that too. My heart wants to be in a place where I'm like, okay, Jesus, what are you going to give me today? I'm telling you, the more we, we, we mature in Jesus Christ, the more we are satisfied with the glory of the Lord and find our joy in Him and not in what he might be giving to us practically or tangibly. Not that those things are wrong, but he is so much better. This is the setting, and the setting that produces sober-mindedness. Notice from the setting, we see the subjects now. The subjects, in verse 32, we are told that before Christ, he will gather all the nations. But don't think of the nations as political entities, as actual countries Rather, think of the nations as referring to all ethnic groups, all peoples, meaning every person living on earth in some form will gather before Christ. And notice what the judge does now. He gathers the people as a shepherd would gather sheep and goats. Very common in ancient Palestine. Notice first the sheep and goats are gathered, but then they are quickly separated. See that? The sheep then... They represent the true children of God, those who have accepted Christ by grace through faith, saved by Christ. But the goats, though, 
unmistakably, they represent the unsaved, the unrepentant, those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Notice, though, up until this judgment, the sheep and goats are intermingled. Notice that. The inference there. But what takes place now is there's a separation between the two. There's a separation, though, that will last forever. What do we learn here? We learn that currently believers and unbelievers are integrated. It's like the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It's hard at times to distinguish who's really in and who's not. But very soon this will no longer be. This is because Jesus knows his own. We might have a hard time telling sometimes. Jesus will not have a hard time because he has saved all of his children one life at a time. That's why in John's gospel, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them and they follow me. We see the setting, we see the subjects, and now we see this, we see the sanction. The sanction. This is where things get very interesting. Look at verse 34 now. Verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry, feed you thirsty, see you a stranger, welcome you naked and clothe you, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, verse 40, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is where things, again, things kind of heighten up here, what Jesus is saying in this passage. Notice it's Jesus, the king, who says to his children, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Now, the reason for this inheritance, if you know your Bible, at first can seem kind of shocking, if not unsettling. Because Jesus here is referring to the righteous acts. He says, they fed him, they clothed him, they welcomed him, they visited him, they loved him. And understandably here, the, the righteous, they, again, they are, they are caught off guard by this. They, they, they are surprised. They are unaware. When do we do this to you, Lord? But Jesus says, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We've got to clear up a couple of things right here before we go any further. We did this last week. We've got to do it this week again, okay? Number one thing we have to be totally clear on, this is not teaching salvation by works. This is not teaching salvation by what you do, good deeds you have done or seek to do, as some people are led to believe and teach through this passage to their own fault and their own devastation. How do we know this isn't teaching salvation by works? It goes against the totality of Scripture. What false teaching does, loved ones? False teaching isolates one Scripture and disregarding the rest of Scripture and holds it up and tries to form a doctrine out of that one passage, disregarding it everything else around it. That's just poor interpretation, bad hermeneutics. That's irresponsible student of God's word. We know from the totality of Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith. That is so clear. We also know that the Old Testament saints themselves were saved by faith as they looked forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 11. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we went through this last week again. It's so clear. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not a result of works that no one may boast. It's all grace, by faith, 
But second of all, look at our text right in verse 34. Jesus says, come you who are blessed by my Father. The key word there is blessed, indicates grace. It's a gift in the very words of Christ to say, come inherit the kingdom. Grace is all filling this this sentence. Notice also in verse 34, Jesus says, this is awesome. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is speaking of the sovereignty of God. This is speaking of God planning things out before the world was even formed. The inheritance of God's children being determined before they were even a thought or born or even the world was created itself. So therefore, if that is true, how could it possibly then be due to something that we have done to earn something when it's been prepared for us before the foundation of the world? This is another indication of the overwhelming, inexhaustible, incomprehensible grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the more you think about it, prepared for you before the foundation of the world, it starts to hurt your head. I mean, just trying to grasp the infinite wisdom of God and His sovereign plan, it's incredible. The second misunderstanding from this verse or verses comes from the phrase found in verse 40. Jesus says, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers. So that's an important question. Who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus here? Some suggest it's um, the poor across the world. Some suggest that it could be even the Jews found within the tribulation. But I think, again, our answer comes from Scripture itself. From Scripture, interpreting Scripture. Matthew 12, verse 46. In this situation, while he was Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Here we go, ready? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus makes it abundantly clear right there that his true brothers and sisters are not born by physical birth. This is not from some Jewish ethnic line of descent. His true brothers and sisters are those who have been spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit, by grace through faith, and they become the spiritual children of Abraham. They become his brothers and sisters and mothers, so to speak, in this context. Spiritual rebirth. You enter into the family of God. So with that understanding beneath us right now, we now get to the heart of our application for this text. Don't miss this. The reason for the approval of Jesus to the righteous, listen carefully, was because their faith led to fruit. Their faith led to genuine fruit. Their opportunity led to mercy. Their urgency of their lives in Jesus Christ led to the fruit of mercy from their lives. In John 15, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I love what John Calvin said, and I love this quote. He said this right here. We are saved by faith alone. Amen, 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 and amen. We are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Think, pause, consider. We are saved by faith alone, by grace through faith alone. 
But this faith, when it's real, it is not alone. This faith comes with fruit. This faith, if it's truly in Christ, is always, always accompanied by fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit within our lives. If you are being made alive, there must be fruit. That's the point what Jesus is saying. If you are my children, if your lamp has oil in it, if you understand the opportunity you've been entrusted with, with the talents God has given to you and the stewardship of that, then fruit will be seen from your life. And in this case, specifically the fruit of mercy. The heart of this passage is called to bear the fruit of compassion. The fruit of mercy to, to primarily God's children in need. Not exclusively, but primarily so. Loved ones, it's the fruit of compassion seen within our lives. It's the fruit of mercy. Is it evident? Is it there? It must. It will be a burden for God's, do we have a burden for God's family? Do we have a generosity towards the church of God? In Acts chapter 4 it says there was not a needy person among them. How beautiful is that? Do we have a generosity towards the children of God, the family of God? Is there a love for the family of God? Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality. The entertaining of strangers even. Do we carry a burden for compassion and mercy to God's children, especially those in need or those who are outcast? Remember, the ministry of Jesus ministered so often to those in need or those who were on the sidelines, to those who were outcasts. And what Jesus is saying through this text right now, if you truly follow me, your ministry will look very similar to mine, Jesus says. There must be mercy coming from our lives in the light of the return of Christ with the urgency and the opportunity Then we are blessed to be agents of mercy. Interesting, one of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. Mercy is a big deal to the Lord. It needs to be a big deal to us. You know what I love about this as well? Notice the righteous were not aware of their actions. They weren't even aware that they were doing it, which indicates their motives were pure. That's a big deal, right? Because this is a sign of more genuine fruit. There's a genuine sense of compassion. You know, so often within our world, not trying to judge people too much, but this is one of the realities, so often people do things to be congratulated. So often there's ministries of mercy or good deeds, and the reality is, is that people are there, they're about to do something. Like, is the camera rolling? Okay, quick, dig a well, dig a well. Here we go. Is someone watching? Good. Okay, let's do it. Here we go. Here we go. Look at this Again, not trying to place judgment on all that, but the reality is so many people are simply motivated to do things for other people so that they look better as a result. That negates the whole purpose. In fact, the book of Romans says anything that is not produced of faith is sin. So therefore, any motivation other than the love of Jesus Christ and caring for those, again, in need by his will, then that becomes something that isn't valuable in his eyes. Because so often it's done with a sense of selflessness, even in the midst of looking like so selfless. The human heart's, man, so corrupt. 
But these righteous people noticed they, they weren't even aware of what was happening, which is such an awesome sign. They were doing it because they loved the Lord Jesus Christ and they cared for those around them. The fruit of compassion for the hungry and needy. But here comes the real incentive, all right? We're going to see this. Point number four now, we, we see the stranger. The stranger. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, I was a stranger. And then verse 40, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, sisters, you did it to me. So our greatest incentive and motivation for urgency, opportunity, and mercy is when we are loving the children of God, we are loving Christ himself. And we must see it that way. And just think from Matthew's gospel. Um, I'll read it for you. Matthew 10, Jesus says, Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him, the Father, who sent me. Matthew 18, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Wow. And you can even flip that around, how personal Jesus takes this. When Saul's persecuting the church, Jesus says, appears to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus places himself within those, again, who are needy and outcast and mistreated and persecuted. I want us to think about this. God, help us to live this out. Think about it. That, that drink that you fetched for the sister in Christ in need, that was Jesus you gave that cup of water to. That phone call you made to your discouraged brother in Christ, who was down and suffering, and you called him up to love him. You just made a call to Jesus. That text you sent, seeking to come alongside a, a woman who's suffering and, and emotionally bruised, that's, that's sending a text to Jesus Christ. That visit to the hospital you made for those with illness or struggling in different forms of life, and you're walking into the hospital room, and Jesus says, you just visited me. That dinner you made for the family, going through a tough time, and you showed up, you delivered that meal to Jesus Christ himself. That's what Jesus is saying. That becomes powerful. As you minister to my brothers and sisters with a heart of mercy and compassion, you are ministering to me, Jesus says. Let's just do some church-wide application right now. Can you imagine... If every single one of us who are truly alive in the Lord Jesus Christ began to engage and activate the fruit and gift of mercy from our lives upon those around us in this place and beyond, can you imagine the impact that that would result in, again, in this place alone? If every single one of us began to operate in terms of mercy and compassion and love and tenderness and gentleness and selflessness. Can you imagine every one of us began looking around to be agents of grace with this light that we've been entrusted with? Can you imagine the light and the love and the impact and the, and the effect that would have on hundreds and thousands here and beyond? That's why Jesus gives us this right now. He says, if we get the urgency, man, we're going to seize the opportunity. If we seize the opportunity, then we're going to be agents of mercy. You know, I just need to admit to you right now, too, that when I, 
think of this passage and preach this passage, there are certain people that come to mind who I think are such inspiring and beautiful examples of this. And if truth be told, I think of them and there's a huge part of me that says, man, I just want to be more like them. And that's the way it should be. People around us, and I encourage you, there's someone like that in your life, man, you go rub shoulders with them. Just be like, man, I, got, I need some of what you have. Be encouraged. Have a, a, a mentor, a model. Because it's so right, it's so true, it's so appropriate, it's so good. You think of ministries like Compassion International. All the children, hundreds of children sponsored here as an act of mercy, as an agency of love and grace. That's so awesome. We think of the harvest market through this church. You think of the different ways you're coming alongside and helping those in need. And just even people are discouraged and beaten down and all these things kind of adding up. But Jesus says, as we're doing that, we're doing it to Christ himself. But I think the greatest power lies in the everyday activity and the everyday decision to seek to be agents and ministers of mercy by God's strength. And for his glory. God, may you be growing that with our church. May you be growing that within our lives. So we see this. So far this passage has been pretty encouraging. We've seen the setting, the subjects, the sanction, the stranger. How much money do you want to bet the fifth one starts with an S? It does. It's this. It's, it's the sentence. But this is where things turn. It's tough, loved ones. Like this section right here is tough. This is sobering. I don't enjoy this part, but I find it's actually loving, this part. It's truth. And I pray it's, I pray it's communicated with grace, just as Christ did himself. Look at verse 41. Then, here's the contrast now, here's the turning point. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And by the way, the insight this week, notice that the eternal fire has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who is prepared for. Here's the problem though, okay? There's one of two places you can go in life. There's one of two places you can end up in eternity, heaven or hell. If you reject Christ, there's only one other option. If you fail to believe in Jesus Christ, if you choose to say that you don't want him, you hate him, you will not follow him, you will go your own way. There's only one other location you can end up in then. If you reject Christ, you end up in the place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 42, for I was hungry, you gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, did not welcome me. Naked, did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, did not visit me. Then they will answer in shock and horror, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison, did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Notice the contrast of Jesus. He says to the sheep, come and be blessed. To the goats, it's depart, you cursed. What we see in this passage is the sheep are commended for what they have done. Notice this, okay? The goats are condemned for what they have not done. They have not had a heart for the lowly. They have not had a heart for the broken. They have not had a heart for the needy. 
They have not had a heart for the hungry and thirsty. They have not been concerned for the afflicted outside of their own self-centered worlds. They have not seen the insignificant to be significant in their hearts, in their eyes. What we see here in this text is very important. We see the sin of omission. Good left undone is just as serious as the sin of commission, actful, sinful actions of evil. Think of um, chapter 25 as a whole. Notice, the foolish virgins are condemned not because of any terrible sin, because they were unprepared. They were not ready. They did not have oil. In the same way, the parable of the talents, the lazy servant did no awful crime. The lazy servant was not prepared either. He had no faith. He did nothing. That was his ruin. He did nothing. He just dug a hole. And here we see the sins of omission in this passage of the sheep and the goats is also worthy of eternal damnation because there's an absence of true faith and they fail to live for Christ and therefore they just live for self. And that's why, loved ones, many, many, many people at the end will turn in shock and say, when did we not serve you, Lord? Be sobered by this. The world hates this text. People who hate Jesus hate this passage. They hate this truth. They don't want to hear anything of it. But Jesus loves us and he tells us the truth. Jesus Christ is going to return one day so soon. And the reality is many people stand before him. And they've lived, listen right now, okay? Because this describes our society so much. So many people are ignoring and in denial of eternity. And they live each day for their entertainment and their hobby and their paycheck and their house and their activities and their leisure and their vacation and their self. Every day they live for self. All-consuming waste of time. The next show, the next moment of distraction, and Christ will return. And they will stand before him in judgment, and they will have to give an account. And they'll be like, but Lord, what did I do? What did I do? You say, it's what you didn't do. You spent your entire life living for yourself to your own eternal destruction. Because you knew the truth, but you rejected it. You heard the gospel and you denied it. You saw Christ and you spat in his face. That's what's at stake right here. That's why this is such a big deal. Wake Don't sleep another day. Stop living for yourself. Stop pretending this isn't real. Because it is so much of our world, man. Addicted to a drug. Trying to convince themselves that this isn't going to happen. There is no God. The moment they admit there's a God, they admit they're not. The moment they admit they're not God and there is one, all of a sudden they're accountable to him. The moment they're accountable to him, their sins, their sins, their sins matter. And that's why John 3, you want to hear the explanation of John 3 of why people don't receive Christ? Because John 3 says the moment the light comes into their lives, the darkness is exposed because they love their sin, they love the darkness, they hate the light. They hate the light because the light shines and tells them who they really are and then they have to change. You can read it yourself, John 3. 
And that's why they hate the light. That's why there's this massive revolution in our day of antichrist. Because in the end of the day, don't bother me in my sin. That's the wickedness and the hardness of the heart of man that I had for 22 years, but for the grace of God to come into my life and show me what life was really about. I was that person. I was dead in sin and depraved and headed towards destruction. You know what's, you know what's crazy about my story? I believed in God enough at this young adult age that I actually believed, I was actually worried that at some point Christ might return because when he returned, I knew where I wasn't going with him. Isn't that insane? I mean, I actually believed on some level that was going to happen. And I did nothing about it. I believed that Christ would return. And I wasn't, I was so in love with myself and living for my sin, I cared more about that than than to bow the knee and surrender to Jesus Christ. That's how, that's how messed up human hearts are. And maybe you're here right now. And maybe you find yourself in the same place. Notice in verse 46. I don't have joy in this verse. Other than it's the truth of God. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Notice many people want the eternal in life, but they don't want the eternal in punishment. You can't have it both ways. It's all or nothing here. This is the truth. If we're not with Christ, then we're not with Christ. And the severity of that decision is eternal. Is this difficult? Yeah, it's difficult. Is it clear and true? Yeah, it's clear and true. The Son of Man is is coming in His glory. He's coming in His glory with all His angels. With all His angels. And He will sit on His glorious throne. He will sit on His glorious throne. And he will judge the living and the dead. He has been given the authority to decide all of eternity for all of humankind. I want to recap this whole chapter with this slide right here. Urgency, opportunity, and mercy. Loved ones, if we sense the urgency, we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. Lamps lit, glowing. And from there is the opportunity. We've been entrusted with a life. Don't waste it doing nothing. Don't waste it. And when we don't waste it, we want to be agents of mercy. Because Jesus Christ is in us and he cares so much about the outcast and the needy. Especially within the church of God. That we would be used to show mercy to those around us. This is a challenging, a challenging chapter, but a glorious chapter. And I pray it's changing us as a church. Remember when this series began, we're calling people forward? We're calling people forward to get off the bench, stop watching, get off the sidelines. It's time to get in the game, the eternal game, the glorious game, to play for Jesus. And that's where we end today, too. We're being called forward, called forward today to mercy from opportunity and from urgency. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. 
Just right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I, I pray. If you are here today, you need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your eyes have been opened. Your heart has been awakened. You can hear maybe for the first time ever. Maybe you've been sitting in church for so many years. Maybe this is the first time you've ever come. Jesus Christ extends his arms to you by dying on a cross, taking your sin, all your sin, to bear your punishment, the wrath that we deserve. He offers you life today. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus Christ, I need you. Save me from myself. Save me from my sins. Give me new life, Jesus. Come, make, make the difference, the eternal difference in my life. You call out to him today. And the Bible says, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. What a promise. Holy Spirit, save people today. Regenerate people today. Cause people to be spiritually reborn today. And God, I pray that you would be supernaturally waking up this church. Lord, I need it. Everyone needs it. Fill us. Help us, Lord, in this moment to not be looking for the next handout from you. I pray in this moment we will be saying, you, you are Lord, the Son of Man, coming in his glory with all his angels to sit in his glorious throne. There's none like you. And we would praise you. We would thank you. We would glorify you. We would magnify you. Even now, Lord, I pray, even this opportunity for the song now, this glorious, glorious words and truth, may it be done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.